disappointing finish, excited about the beginning. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. We look back at Sunday's loss to the Seahawks, a game, and let's be honest, the Cardinals outplayed the Seahawks. So many positives from the final game of the season, a lot to look forward to, and a lot of work that needs to be done. It's Cardinals Covered 2, Episode 719, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a five. He's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. So I've got to be honest, Paul, I have some conflicted emotions here on this Monday morning. The season is done. Players are cleaning out their locker, yet I cannot get over the fact that, yeah, it was a loss to the Seahawks and four wins versus five wins. Is it really that big of a deal? Darn it, I wanted that win on Sunday. (laughs) Well, you wanted the win because it was Seattle in town. True. And the 12s in the stands and the whole thing. Can you imagine... If Green Bay had lost and that Prater missed at the very end, had not only secured a Seattle Seahawks win, but had propelled them into the postseason, the hashtag, it can always get worse, that's how it would In fact, if that would have happened, I would not be here right now. <laughs> I would have taken a mental health day. If stinking Seattle would have clinched a playoff spot based on two missed field goals in the fourth quarter at the very end of State Farm Stadium. Pete Carroll would have been insufferable yes. post-game. Uh-huh. Now, I'll say this, as we look back at Sunday's 21-20 loss to the Seahawks as the Cardinals finished 4-13 and for the second straight year, Pete Carroll did tell the media post-game he knew the Bears had lost to the Packers, which eliminated the Seahawks from the playoffs midway through the fourth quarter before deciding to go for the two and the win. So the goal was to come in with a victory and sending those Seahawks with a win. So interesting because at halftime he told Laura Oakman, the Fox sideline reporter, there shall be no scoreboard watching on this sideline. Yet the head coach himself was well aware of the final from Lambeau. Interesting. Also interesting that when I walked into the postgame locker room, Where I am doing some of the uh, interviews is adjacent to the main locker room. It's connected but adjacent. And then after I was done with that, I walked into an auxiliary locker room, okay, which is in between the Cardinals and the visitors' official locker room. And I'm like, what? What is that? Cigar smoke? (laughs) What is going on? And sure enough, the Seahawks lit up cigars in the victory visiting locker room, despite the fact they have been eliminated from the playoffs. Now, there was some consternation and controversy about this afterwards, and apparently Julian Love is a new father, and he had some, uh, you know, it's a boy, cigars or whatever, and he passed them out. But, you know, they're flexing and taking photos with cigars after they've been eliminated from the playoffs for the second time in three years. So not a great look. Uh, by the Seattle Seahawks. No, an awful look, to be honest, and not something that probably should have been posted on social media mere minutes after that game on Sunday. But it was open to the media at that point. They did it in in an open locker room. Now, they took exception with one beat writer who tweeted out as uh, no playoffs and they're still lighting up victory cigars. 
And then they railed against that saying, no, it's because we have a new father in the locker room. Even so, uh, some of the veterans in the locker room were quoted by some of the beat writers saying, yeah, some of these younger guys maybe don't quite get it yet. Time and place. There is a time and there is a place for certain things, and that was not the time nor the place on Sunday at State Farm Stadium. But my conflicted emotions, again, that loss to the Seahawks. You wanted to finish with back-to-back wins. You wanted Kyler Murray to go into the offseason 4-4 four and four as the Cardinals' starting quarterback. Yet at the same time, and I think I'll feel better as we get closer and closer to April, but that miss did lock up and secure the fourth overall pick. And you look at the teams selecting ahead of the Cardinals, the Bears, the Commanders, the Patriots, those are all depending on what the Bears decide to do with Justin Fields, those three teams need quarterbacks. And if quarterbacks go one, two, and three, Cardinals are sitting there with the fourth overall pick, taking the best player available, maybe a wide receiver, or, again, if there's another quarterback needy team moving up to that fourth spot. So that's where I'm conflicted because if you had won that game, then the Chargers are picking fourth and the Cardinals are picking fifth. Chargers have their quarterback and obviously would most likely take Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, by the time we get to March and April, everyone will be grateful and thankful <laughs> that you are picking fourth and that it was a one-point loss instead of a narrow win. I get all that. But I also think we all can agree that quarterback is going number one. May not go to Chicago. That's true. Bears just going to trade out and cash it in for the second year in a row if they decide to stick with Justin Fields. Heck, how do we know that quarterbacks aren't going one through four? If it isn't Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix, if he balls out in the national championship game, even a Bo Nix, you know, there's always that guy who rises in the offseason workouts, Anthony Richardson, Zach Wilson, those kind of guys who just, uh, you know, kill it at a pro day or a combine workout, and all of a sudden quarterback needy teams, they reach. And so there's, to me, I think there's a real good chance the Cardinals might trade out in number four, especially with the Texans pick now being in the 20s. So I would not be shocked whatsoever. I mean, I don't see a cornerback worthy of a top five pick. I don't think there's an edge rusher or game wrecking D tackle worthy of a top five pick, at least not right now. There might be an offensive lineman, the Penn State tackle, but otherwise, if that's the case, Boom, see if you can pull the trigger on that, but that's way down the road. Yeah, we've got three-plus months to discuss what happens in April for the draft, but let's dive into what happened, what didn't happen on Sunday. Again, the Cardinals, outside of the scoreboard, the Cardinals outplayed the Seahawks. They were the better team for 60 minutes, and I'm including the entire game despite what happened late in that contest with Matt Prater missing two field goals. By the way, I give Matt a ton of credit. Not that I would expect anything less. He stood in front of his locker, answered every single question, took complete responsibility, not the hold, not the snap. It was on him. And that's only the third time since arriving in Arizona that Prater has missed two field goals in a single game. Mm. It's unheard of. Even from 40 to 49, he's almost automatic. And we've become accustomed to him hitting those 50-plus field goals to where, yeah, I was stunned when the official underneath the goalposts were waving his arms in a horizontal motion signaling no good. I was like, really? Are you sure? I mean, this is Matt Prater. 
So Fox flashed a graphic as he got towards the end of the game that Matt Prater had never missed a game-winning field goal attempt, the final two minutes of a game or overtime. And Dave Pash hesitated to read it on air. But he did. And not saying it was a factor, but man, you just sort of had a bad feeling about that. And uh, sure enough, oh boy, the jinx was on. But that's a double ding. Matt Prater meeting the media, absolutely. Uh, You can tell so much about a player and the person the accountability, and really hit zoom out. That's the one thing that has been instilled in this team. If you want to talk about culture, I think the first bullet point under that is accountability. Starts with the head coach, trickles down to the locker room, the team leaders, the James Connors, the Buda Bakers, the Matt Prater. These are the guys. And so when people ask, okay, what exactly is culture? How do you define it? Well, uh, accountability is a big – and remember where last offseason started, Craig – with a move at head coach and the team owner, Michael Bidwell, telling the media, we have to address accountability within the organization. So that was first and foremost in the coaching search and hitting the reset button, the big red reset button on culture. And you saw it. And guys who weren't on board with it were no longer members of the team. In fact, Jonathan Gannon, after the game, you know, we, we had a chance to talk to him one-on-one on, on the post-game radio. And He made a few comments just about where this season had come from and where it was going, and he said, you know what, we were able to figure out what we are and who we are going forward, basically. We found out a lot about who we are and who's going to be a part of this game, this team, and that was Jonathan Gannon, and really, you know, that was this season, especially after Kyler Murray came back. So our whole marketing mantra that we used sometime uh, last offseason, the 2023 dip for a 2024 rip. Uh, hopefully that is tracking to be true. So despite a loss, you feel good, even on this Monday, even as fresh as the outcome of Sunday still is, but you feel good where this team, where this organization is headed moving forward. In fact, a lot of the postgame calls on Cardinal Talk echoed that. People can tell, and we discussed this before, 4-13 and 13 after 2022, oh, there were big questions, a lot of issues. 4-13 and 13 after 2023, I'm excited. In fact, I'm actually looking forward. I, you sometimes don't want to wait until August for training camp in September and the regular season. Yeah, everyone needs a break and all that. But there is a lot, and depending on what happens in free agency and in the draft, you build around Kyler Murray because you know he's your franchise quarterback. There's a lot of building blocks on both sides of the ball. There's a lot of holes on both sides of the ball. But bottom line is, you know your general manager, you know your head coach, you know your quarterback, and those three are the most important pieces to a winning team. The what and the who. I think the decision makers know what they want this team to be, and they know who is going to be part of it. The sort of player that they're looking for, what they want it to resemble, It's not just, hey, Kyler, here's the football, roll it out there, go win the game for us. No, it's a top five running game. It's number two in yards per carry. It's figuring out over the course of a game, okay, what scheme is hitting? What's working? You know, we're going to eventually get to a running play that they're not going to be able to stop. Look at that Seattle game, right? They started slow on the ground. They weren't getting a lot of traction, weren't getting a lot of yardage. But by the time the game was done, James Conner had 150 yards rushing. They had over 200 yards rushing as a team for the fourth time, third time in three game, in four games. 
And talking to a few guys in the locker room, that 29-yard touchdown run by James Conner was a play they ran six or seven times in the game. Wow. So they eventually, and this has been a trend, they eventually get to a play that's going to hit, that the defense can't stop, and they're going to repeat it. To me, that's football IQ. And this staff, the staff excels in that. Now, it took a while maybe to get some of the coordinators the experience they needed, but the play calling by Drew Betzing, especially down the stretch, the players raved about that internally. I think they figured out, okay, what is our identity, and this is who we want to be. And so you're just going to see a draft and offseason trying to accentuate that. Don't forget what Gannon had said previously this season, telling Drew Petzing, don't be afraid to run the same play more than once. Run it until it's stopped. And to your point, Paul, if that was the sixth time that they ran the same play and Connor got 26 yards to get to 1,000 for the season, it's working. Why go away from it? Right. And now you've yep. figured it out, so you keep doing it. And even if you do get stopped maybe once or twice – you know you've had success more times than not, so maybe you change up the formations or instead of doing it to the left, you do it to the right or with a different running back. But I do like the fact that this team has found an identity on offense, even with a mobile quarterback, a dual quarterback who can throw it, who can run it, but this is a run-first offense. You talked about the rushing yards per game, number four in the league, number two rushing yards per play. Cardinals finish with 5.02 rushing yards per play, second most in franchise history, topped only by the 5.03 in 2019, hmm. Cliff Kingsbury's first year. Difference between 2019 and 2023, Paul, is in 2019, Cardinals ran the ball for 396 or three ran the ball 396 times. This past season, 471. Seventy more, 75 more rushing attempts for 400 more yards. And you know what? Look, I can't prove this, but I think anybody who's watched Cardinals football closely over the last five years, this offense, this team this year, dictated to the defense, whereas the defense would dictate to the Cardinals' offense in the past, force them to adjust to the adjustment. In this case, defenses had to adjust to the Cardinals. They found what worked. They dictated accordingly. But then again, the other, the other season, half season, where the Cardinals were top 10 in rushing was the first half of 2021. And James Conner had a Pro Bowl year. And he was among the league leaders. And they had a couple of 200-yard rushing games at the Rams, at the Browns. And what happened that season? They started 7-0. They started 10-2. So if you put Kyler in a balanced offense, and you don't ask him to do everything and be everything. And now maybe you can add some weapons in the offseason, especially on the perimeter in that receiver room. Once again, this is the direction they're going. I think they've identified, okay, uh, this is where what we need to be. Now we just need to find the parts. And despite the loss, individually, some confidence for a Kyle Murray who had his best passing game of the season. James Conner with a career-high 150 yards on the ground. Michael Wilson, a season-best 95 receiving yards. So, yes, it comes in a loss, but you take those individual performances within the context of the offense, and you say, all right, we know what we're doing as a coaching staff, what we're teaching, what we want these players to run is successful, maybe a little bit more successful with some better talent around so you finish with a heck of a lot more than just the four wins. He was under center 30 times in the season finale. 
It's remarkable, isn't it? Almost, what's it? I think he came into this season with like 80-plus times under center. Yes, because Josh Dobbs had exceeded over the first six games of the season how many times Kyler had been under center in his career. Now you get to the season finale, he's under center 30 times. And, you know, it was something that Jonathan Gannon said on Game Plan, season finale of his weekly TV show, and I wrote it down when I asked him about Kyler Murray. He said, you know what? And he's talking about the Eagles game. He played really fast without being sped up. The game was slow to him. So the decision-making got better. It got quicker. It got more decisive. He was seeing the field better. Things did slow down. Kyler mentioned that to the media in his final lead-up week in that Seahawks game, just talking about things were slowing down. So you saw improvement. You saw an evolution of Kyler you know, in this offense, in this scheme. Getting under center looks so much more fluid in, the, in Week 18. And the ability, and Kyler mentioned it, to hide the football, play action fakes, wait, they can't see it, I got my back to the defense, where is the football, did he hand it off, play action, they got to respect James Conner. And then by the time you get to the fourth quarter, when you're a physical team like the Cardinals are, over the last month we've had both Will Hernandez and Trey McBride in the Big Red Rage when I asked them, okay, is it a real thing wearing down a defense in the fourth quarter? They both instantly answered yes. So when you're talking about this identity and this culture, the whole physicality figured in big this year. And you saw it. You saw defenses turning down James Conner and company in the late stages of games. You mentioned Trey McBride. He met the media on Monday as players are holding exit interviews, exit physicals, and cleaning out their locker. And the one thing McBride said, because he had a phenomenal season, I mean, one of the best tight end yep. seasons in recent memory, but what did he point to? He pointed to his blocking, especially the last couple of games, last two or three weeks in which his blocking has improved to where on the broadcast Ron Wolfley is pointing it out. Rob Fredrickson on Cardinal Talk is making mention of it, seeing what maybe I don't see, what the common fan sees because you look at the entire line of scrimmage and you're seeing that block, whether that's on the left side or the right side, getting to the second level, blocking first and foremost, again, goes back to that team before me to make sure the guys behind Trey McBride are moving the football. And that really is what makes it a, a tough challenge for a defense when you're that multiple as an offense, when a Trey McBride easily can be part of a three tight end package and cram it vertical, or you can flex him out or get him out on delayed route. And so you saw the ability to really maximize a Trey McBride. I joked in the Big Red Rage this last week, he was our guest, I need three tight end screens minimum per game. There were at least two. The first one hit big. They came back to it in the second half. Not so much you saw the Seahawks adjust but it's remarkable how the defensive attention evolved over the course of a season I mean by the last few games he's getting chucked at the line of scrimmage he's getting press man coverage there's bracket safety over the top he got a lot more attention so as productive as he was he saw defenses adjust and adapt and that's going to be his offseason challenge now all right What do we do to maximize 85 because he's no longer a mystery or an unknown to defenses? Elijah Higgins, I think, stepped up his game. I apologize for mentioning his alma mater, but Stanford kid, Paul, I do think has a future here in this league as a young converted wide receiver playing tight end for the first time in his career. So, yeah, 
a lot of pieces in which you can build upon. The offensive line played very well this entire season. And to end the season with 466 total yards of offense, a season best. Again, going into the offseason, and sometimes yards don't equate to points. Obviously, the Cardinals only had 20 points on the scoreboard. But it does show that this team can move the ball between the 20s, now just get touchdowns when you're inside the red zone because at the end of the day, that's what cost the Cardinals on Sunday. It wasn't Matt Prater. It was the inability twice in the second quarter to come away with touchdowns and settle for Matt Prater field goals. Totally agree. So that's something, yes. And you know what? I think they're going to learn, this is just my gut, my guess, that Kyler Murray's legs in the red zone, that's something they can maximize more. I know defenses are hell-bent on keeping him in the pocket, and he did a really good job down the stretch dissecting, discerning, delivering, making decisions from the pocket. But in the red zone, if you can get Kyler on the move, man, that's just solely that's, – that's where Lamar Jackson kills you, a Jalen Hurts. You know, even a C.J. Stroud, you saw that in Houston. He's loath to run C.J. Stroud, but in the red zone, okay, if I can get to the pylon, here we go. Here comes the 4-5. Now, in Kyler's case, it's a 4-3. So – uh, the red zone, I would agree, but I was encouraged by the production from Michael Wilson in the final two games. He had a couple of stretches there, a couple of games where he was held with the bagel, and then to have six catches on six targets for 95 yards, to have some plays where Kyler extended him and he came back to the football, they had that sort of chemistry. In fact, he told us after the game, there was they got a coverage, broke the huddle, got a coverage, and Kyler made eye contact with him. And they sort of had that non-verbal communication, and it resulted in a big catch. That's what you were missing most of this season. If you would have had an offseason with the quarterback and these receivers, it does lead you to wonder, okay, how much more productive could they have been this year? But now that's what we look forward to next season. And when Kyler returned, that's when Michael got hurt. And he was very open and honest with you post-game, Paul, about just how serious that injury was. Initially called a shoulder neck issue to the point where Michael told you that there were people telling him, hey, shut it down, go on injured reserve. And Michael, the team player, and then probably thinking about, hey, what is what, what does my resume say? What, what am I known for? Oh, it's these season-ending injuries. I can't stay healthy. That narrative. Oh, I'm going to battle through this. And to your point, Paul, he finished the season – about as healthy as one can be after 17 games, but then finished with a productive final couple of weeks. And, you know, he had a shoulder injury at Stanford. And so, you know, there was some concern about, okay, you know, he's already had surgery, you know, and what does that mean and what's the best course of action? So they were extra cautious. And, yes, he was intent on trying to uh, trying to eliminate that narrative about his availability. So, but you saw, you saw his ability out there to to make those plays, and how big a deal it is to have a six foot two target. I mean, when you're on the sideline, and a lot of those plays came to the Cardinals sideline, and you just see a ball come out of nowhere. I mean, you know, the pocket is collapsing around Kyler, and the ball just comes out. And so to have a guy who's six two who can reel in some of those, because you know you have to get it over six foot six defensive linemen. It's not always that easy to get it on a line to the second level. It doesn't matter how tall you are as a quarterback, you still have to get it over those defensive linemen. So to have that guy, especially at the sideline on the edge. So man, if you can get a if you can have some additions 
to that receiver room, uh, obviously everyone looks forward to that. By the way, speaking of the receiver room, Matt Prater, Blake Gillikin lining up as wide receivers yeah. on that fake field goal. And that, that to me, by the way, I went back and looked. According to ProFootballReference.com, first career offensive snaps for Matt Prater, who's been in this league for a long, long time, and Blake Gillikin. That's on funny. the field for that Kyler Murray touchdown. Pete Carroll, by the way, tried to call timeout, but in his words, quote, I was too far away, they couldn't hear me, and then he complimented the play and the play execution by Kyler Murray. But that was something that caught the Seahawks off guard. It always makes me think, you know, how many how many fakes does Jeff Rogers have at his disposal? He told the media earlier this year, hundreds. He has hundreds of fakes is what he said. So that one came from the depths of the playbook right there, something they'd had in for about five years, according to Kyler Murray. They just were never able to run it. And then uh, Jonathan Gannon said they had it up, like the front of the play sheet the last couple of weeks. They did get to it. And what's remarkable, we learned after the game, Trey McBride said he wasn't the primary target. It was Greg Dortch, but Dortch fell down. And so Kyler had to find a, a secondary target. And that really wasn't auto, an automatic throw from the sideline. He did have to arc it and get it over the defender, even though Trey McBride was behind the defender. But you didn't have an infinite amount of space because he was dealing with the end line of the end zone. So uh, he had to put that on the money, Kyler Murray. Cardinals lose the regular season finale to the Seahawks 21-20. to A lot to be encouraged about offensively, defensively. Individuals have stood out, but collectively as a unit, I'll go back to the lack of a pass rush. And now six straight games, over these six games, one sack. And I think it was really telling. And listening to the broadcast, Ron Wolfley, that final Seahawks drive, Geno Smith standing in the pocket, four plays, 67 yards, that 34-yard touchdown to Tyler Lockett. But there were a couple of smaller catch and runs by Zach Charbonnet if you're able to get pressure on Geno Smith make it a little bit more difficult on that opposing quarterback who knows what happens but the inability to find a consistent pass rush late in the season I think is glaring and definitely needs to be addressed and I said on the pregame show you know I was sitting there with Rob Fredrickson and and Roy Jetstream Green and for all the talk about receivers I said look Roy all apologies this game's about quarterback and getting to the quarterback and it's amazing how much better your secondary looks when you can get to the quarterback, when you can at least affect the quarterback. What, they only had two quarterback hits against Geno Smith in that game? So there obviously wasn't enough pressure. So now the question is, all right, what can you do? Look what Montez Sweat did for the Chicago Bears and the trickle-down effect of when you get that guy off the edge. And it doesn't necessarily have to be off the edge. I keep mentioning that, and then a Kyle Vandenbosch or Rob Fredrickson corrects me and says, why Why does it have to be an edge guy? Why can't it be a D-tackle? Absolutely, if you want to go out and get an Aaron Donald or a Chris Jones, you know, a Jeffrey Simmons, one of those game wreckers, a Dexter Lawrence from the inside. Absolutely. You know, that is, that is definitely – in dire need. Cardinals came into the game dead last in run defense. I know just like we were talking about, hey, Cardinals going to be able to run against the Seahawks. Seahawks were talking about first thing we're going to try and do is run against that Cardinals front seven, and they did have some success, no doubt about it. Kenneth Walker is legit. But this offseason, to me, if Kyler Murray is a quarterback, and I'm convinced he is, and he's going to be the future at that position, to me, the priority is getting to the quarterback. And during those six games, only four takeaways. And again, a pass rush 
direct correlation between can you get to the quarterback because now all of a sudden that quarterback is making mistakes, either a strip sack fumble or throwing it into traffic. Are the Cardinals getting enough hands on footballs this season? How many passes defense? How many opportunities were there to get an interception? Buda Baker had one off a deflection, and I thought it was funny. Uh, It certainly garnered a lot of attention when I tweeted it. Your report that Baker threw his gloves in the trash after that near interception. I think some people took it one of two ways. Oh, he's blaming his gloves. Get rid of him, that and this. Or No, it's all in jest. How many times did guys change yeah. their shoes or change their equipment? Oh, they blame the equipment. It's, it's an internal thing that, okay, let me change something up because I should have had that ball. Yeah, he came to the sideline. He was frustrated. He sat down. He's talking. A couple of guys came over, said, hey, it's all right. You know, they, and then he got up and he just sort of nonchalantly took one off, threw it in the garbage. Took the other off, threw it in the garbage. And then sat back down again. And it was amazing watching the Cardinals just moments ago clean out their locker room. There was an offensive lineman who, who literally took out like two dozen pairs of gloves. And he's like, what am I supposed to do with these? He just threw them out. So, I mean, you got to remember players consider those gloves, which are provided, it's basically disposable. And so if one is cursed, in their opinion, they don't hesitate to change to the next pair. In fact, DeAndre Hopkins did that oh, yeah. more than once. He'd come over, and if he had a drop or he couldn't reel one in, he'd come over, take off the gloves. Throw. Now, his gloves were slit at the base of the palm because his hands were so freaking big he couldn't actually get them. So he would wear the largest glove and have to actually cut into it just to provide more room to get it over his big mitt. Yeah, Cardinals need some big mitts on some footballs defensively because you get that defense up to speed, add some talent for Nick Rollis because what I think we've seen from this coaching staff is, and a credit to the players as well, who got opportunities because of injuries and made the most of those opportunities, they were coached up. They were put in position to make plays just didn't have the talent to overcome some of the offenses that they were up against this season. For example, you used a 17th different starting lineup on defense in 17 games. You look out there and you see the defensive line. I mean, it resembled what you would field in August in a preseason game. And so, uh, but at the same time, you know, and then you're on your third middle linebacker. Okay, but Kaiser White, I think we found out, is a keeper. And considering it was a bicep injury, that's obviously imminently uh, you know, re- recoverable from that. And you come back in the offseason, and he's going into the second of a two-year Correct. deal. So, okay, boom. You don't have to worry about middle linebacker, in my opinion. That's set. I mean, he, he, was, he not only was great about calling the defense, but he played with an edge. He was able to cover backs and tight ends when needed. And I thought you saw that was a liability when the two backups came in without Kaiser White, who was able to run a former safety in college, he was able to run with backs and tight ends, unlike the backups. And so, boom, you look forward to getting him in there and coordinating that defense. And I just think it, it took a lot off the plate of a Buda Baker, who, who had to be everywhere at times for this defense. Yeah, the defense needs an infusion of talent on all three levels, and you can make a case whether that's D-line, linebacker, or cornerback in that secondary. But again, going back to how we began this, the conflicted emotions that I have after a loss, yet you hear Jonathan Gannon post-game telling reporters, I've never been more enthused going into an offseason. Kyler Murray post-game, I'm very confident in what we've got going. James Conner, I have hope. There is 
a lot to look forward to with this Cardinals team. And now, of course, the expectations are going to go through the roof because year one was the building year. Now, what do you do in year two? Because the offseason officially begins on Monday, but it has been going on for a while now for that front office. But this is where you figure out what pieces did not fit and what pieces needed need to be added. And now you know. You came into the situation last year as a new GM and new head coach without any real knowledge. There's what you know on film, uh, what you can see. Okay, the All-22. There's what you hear anecdotally. But how is that player going to adjust to your demands and what you're trying to instill? So as Jonathan Gannon said afterwards, okay, we figured out what we want to be and who's going to be part of this. And now you've identified those need areas. And I think Monty Asifort demonstrated a real acumen last offseason going out and maximizing the picks they did have. That rookie class got more snaps than any other rookie class in the NFL. How is that going to pay off next year when you get some of those guys into the rotation for real? Whether it's a Garrett Williams, a Michael Wilson, you know, a Dante Stills, think of all those guys. Starling Thomas, who got all those snaps as an undrafted rookie. So... Yeah, that's that's all part of the equation. It'll be really interesting to see where they how they identify their needs and what areas they prioritize when it comes to bolstering both numbers and quality of player. Who sticks around and who maybe is a surprise that isn't sticking around? And you go back, we saw that initially. Isaiah Simmons, Josh Jones, Marco Wilson, Kevin Strong on yeah. Friday. Don't there's got to be something there because that just seemed to kind of come out of the blue. But yeah, my J Sanders, a Kayvon Wallace. Yeah. I mean, guys during the course of a season. Now, look, I think some of it. This is just my opinion. Nobody told me this. I just think some of it was strategic. If a guy wasn't working out. Instead of waiting to the end of the season, eh, let's make it happen right now. Let's send a little message to the locker room. There were certain flex points in the season where it could have really gone into a full tailspin, could have really bottomed out. And there was a move, like the Marco Wilson going into the Philly game after you started down 21-0 in Chicago. Hey, we're not going to finish the last three games like that. So guess what? Uh, there was an earful at halftime of the Bears game. You came out. You made it a one-score game. You lost at the very end. You cut a Marco Wilson coming off that game. You go into Philly. You ball out, all in the name of the head coach, making his return. And then Kevin Strong on a Friday before the season finale. I just think it's a reinforcement. There will be blood if you don't bring every ounce of energy and effort. So the question is, how many Angry Bird awards are there in the future for some of these Arizona Cardinals players. Yes, it is week 18. We have not forgotten. Offense, defense, special teams all up for the Angry Bird Award for the week. I don't know if we need to do later on in the offseason maybe an Angry Bird Award winner for the entire year, go through all 17 games and pick one player. But for week 18, Paul, who is yeah. the Angry Bird Award winner? You know, I tried to scan the landscape, and I tried to go away from this player. Just give me one reason not to give it to this guy. But when it's given for the most hellacious play or player, how can you not give it to a James Conner who gets 1,000 yards in 13 games? He had a 29-yard touchdown run. He had four catches for over 50 yards receiving making dudes miss, coming to the sideline, mean mugging, stalking the sideline, guys feeding off him. 
So with all that being the case, I don't know. I, it's at least the second time. Hopefully it's not the third. <laughs> but the Angry Bird Award does go to one James Conner. 31 total touches, 204 yards from scrimmage. His second wow. best total of his wow. career. And I know there is, and we can talk about this in the offseason, but that running back when you hit a certain age and certain years in the league. But to me, James Conner is just fine. He takes excellent care of his body. He missed four games earlier in this season. I'm not sure if he needed to miss all four of those because he was placed on IR, but maybe to make sure he was fresh later in the season. But I do like what the Cardinals have in that running back room. No doubt. And, and again, he's more than a player. He's a mindset. He's a mentality. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, he's very sincere and genuine in his praise of James Conner. And what he told us last week that he has bounced a lot of what he was going to do as a first-time head coach off James Conner, one of the team captains. And there have been times where Conner said, no, you went too hard with that. You weren't hard enough here. Uh, you know what? You need to ratchet things up in this area. So there's a lot of fear. I mean, I think it was mid-season. I asked, okay, um, you know, how much does this team feed off James Conner on Jonathan Gannon's TV show? And Gannon looked at us and he said, I feed off James Conner. So when for anyone who doesn't quite understand why they gave him big money on that second contract, uh, you just need to be around the team and around the player. He's far more than just a running back to this offense and to the organization. Yeah, the stats on the piece of paper don't always measure what the value is of a player. And, Bo- and James Conner, Buda Baker is another yes. one, but there are a handful yeah. of players that you just can't say, all right, well, they've got this many touches and carries, and what are you doing giving them that much money? No, 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 there's more to it than that. We've said in the past, no QB, no chance. And a team knows team knows if it has a legit quarterback, whether they have a chance to win. James Conner's that guy without being a quarterback. I mean, he's that guy you, you walk, I said it before, you walk into a biker bar and you got a tough guy on your shoulder as your personal protector, you're more apt to mouth off, right? All of a sudden you got this guy, and so uh, he is that guy to this Cardinals team. When you go into games, you know, all right, we can match and or exceed their physicality when you have number six in the lineup. So the regular season is done. We here on Cardinals Cover 2, we'll continue throughout the offseason, maybe not as frequent as in-season, but as needed. And, of course, we've got the Red Sea Report on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on ESPN 620, and then the Big Red Rage, 6 p.m. on Thursdays on Arizona Sports. Basically, Paul, uh, there is no off-season for you or I, and uh, as much as I would like a break from you, uh, I'm yeah. just not going to get one yeah. anytime soon. No, you know, got to stay mentally strong. No days off, okay? That's the <laughs> mantra around here. Uh, but it's not going to be as busy an off-season as last year when on this day a year ago you had to find a new head coach, a new GM, a new culture, a new direction. So, boom, the foundation is set, right? The ground floor has been laid, and now – it's just building from there. By the way, the Super Bowl was also held That's a year right. ago That's and the right. build up to that in our yeah. own backyard. So, yeah. yeah, not as much activity, which is not a bad thing for us. You know how the rookies always uh, lament how they go from the season, their final college season, to then training for the combine and then the combine and then all the interviews and then the pro days and then the draft and they go right into rookie mini camps and then mini camp, you know, and then there's never a break. Yeah, that's that's what it's been like. Uh, when you make a coaching and you know and GM change and you host a Super Bowl all in the same calendar year. 
I'd say take the rest of the week off, Paul, but yeah. uh, we've got Red Sea Report on Tuesday. So uh, anytime after – oh, no, then there's the big Red Rage on Thursday. Right. So, yeah, again, no yes, days off. That's right. Horrent. And uh, so, you know, we'll just continue to cram it vertical. That's what you, that's what you have to do till you just till everybody wears out in the fourth quarter. The offensive identity, maybe yep. even the identity yep. of this team has yeah. been set here in 2023. Good stuff. Appreciate everyone's involvement all year round. But, again – we are not going anywhere. We will be back as needed here on Cardinals Cover 2. And with that, we will put a lid on this edition this Monday after the regular season. Cardinals lose to the Seahawks 21-20. to Season ends 4-13. and But again, much better feelings going into this offseason heading into 2024. Special thanks here, our executive producer, Jim Amahundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.